You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. And I'm Ryan. On Force Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows, and then we talk about them. We are currently covering every single Mandalorian-themed episode, from Clone Wars to Rebels to The Mandalorian. We are about to cover the Season 1 finale, Episodes 7 and 8. I don't remember their names because I'm not a fucking nerd. But before we get into them... It's The Reckoning and Redemption. See, that's why I keep you around, Brian. <laughs> Before we get into the reckoning and the the whatever the other one is, we have a guest. Yes. Hello. Guest. We are joined by Marcy, who is a cosplayer, a streamer, and a voice actor on an actual play. Uh, yeah. So I do some TTRPG stuff on the side. Uh, so, but it's kind of crazy. I haven't done a podcast in a long time, and I'm super excited to be hanging out with you guys because I love Star Wars. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I met you, I think, at Wizard World Philadelphia in 2014 ish. Yeah, that's right. I we, There's a photo of that, actually. Yeah. We were on Marvel.com. Oh, man. Yeah. One of the many times we were on Marvel.com. <laughs> yeah. And then you were better friends with the person who became my fiance. And then I feel like we really like became friends through, uh, through Evan. Uh, yeah. Evan is a joy. I love all you guys. Yeah. And you met. Ryan threw me at yes. Star Wars Celebration. Yes, yes, I vividly remember Ryan's excellent car. Oh shucks! Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> I it's think a good you car. ended up with my uh, my like Arabesh Coke T-shirt, right? I did, and I wear that like three times a month. And really? I always think oh, I'm so glad. Yes, yes, because we 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 went on that adventure to get it. I remember that. Yeah, because because uh, Coke was like, hey, one size fits all, right? Uh, and I am like a size extra small, so that shirt was never, ever going to suit me. It was huge on me, and I wound up tailoring it and getting crafty with, like, contrasting white thread. You'd be proud. Ooh, I am proud <laughs> yeah. of you. That's awesome. Thank you. I love that so, shirt. So, speaking of conventions and making friends and meeting each other... Marcy, you do a ton of very excellent Star Wars cosplays. I uh, I do. So I am a big fan of the original trilogy. I have quite a number of Luke Skywalker costumes, uh, but I am working on a Cal Kestis right now, including a fully functional BD-1. Yes. So I'm loving that on Instagram. Yes. Next level shit. I am Marcy's. very excited about that. I have like the the full LED board in, which I got from from a guy on Facebook, uh, and I have all of the parts individually 3D printed, and I'm finishing all of them individually. It's quite a project, but I'm super super excited about it. 
I was so frustrated when I heard details about Jedi Fallen Order. I was like, I don't need another like straight white boy Jedi like running around after Revenge of the Sith. Like I don't I don't need this game. The story's been told whatever and then i like kept hearing really good things about it and was like maybe i should check it out and then i heard that who song oh god yeah like, that okay, song is so good <laughs> I-, I need to check it out and as soon as he picked up that guitar i fell in love with that boy oh my and god he's very very good and i love cal Kestis, and i was an idiot and wrong Man, yeah, I, uh, so I am not too much of a multiplayer gamer, so for so many years, a lot of the Star Wars games that were coming out were online, were multiplayer, uh, and they're all great games, but when I heard that they were doing a, like, first-person Jedi, you know, like, a single-player game, I was super, super excited about that, uh, but I had no way of knowing, like, how good it was gonna be, uh, because, you know, there was Force Unleashed, we've had a couple of other ones, but, uh, yeah, Fallen Order rocks, dude. It rules. What uh, lightsaber color are you going for Ooh. your cow build? So when I cosplay characters, especially from games where they're customizable, I do often make choices uh, from kind of a standpoint of what will be the most recognizable. So a lot of times mm-hmm. I'll go with game art stuff. Uh, in this case, I probably will just go with the traditional blue, even though I personally often play with purple in the game. But I might end up doing a NeoPixel build, which will allow me to do any color. Yes, that would oh. be perfect for this. Yeah, it really genuinely would be. Plus, the um, the Fallen Order sound font is pretty easily accessible. I got a custom uh, tiny cow made for Star Wars Legion. Oh, I remember uh, that. And, and I, I painted uh, the lightsabers purple because all of my friends who played the game told me they went purple lightsabers. So I was like, this is for like Marcy and John and all my friends who have played and went purple. Uh, I'm doing, I'm doing it purple. I went yellow though. The taste. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think I would go between yellow and green. I've always liked a mm. green lightsaber. Oh yeah. Green's a good color. I think that sometimes I did switch it up a lot. I would sometimes every time I hit a bench, I'd just kind of switch up my whole lightsaber for the fun of it. Um, I'm trying to remember what other colors I used. I don't think I ever went red, though. I was like, I don't know, I'm just not rocking the Sith look. Not on this one. (laughs) Although I gotta say, the evil Cal Kestis outfit, spectacular. Yeah. It is a look. The Inquisitor look, I desperately want to build that costume. The Inquisitors are fashionable in general, but but he takes it to the next level. Yeah. Uh, Which kind of... Uh, leads us into this episode that uh, Gideon's look is Ooh, incredible. Yeah, he he does have a very inquisitorial. He, it is. It seems to be inspired by ish trooper armor too. But do you have a favorite Luke cosplay that you do? Ooh, because um, uh, you do Return of the Jedi and you do like Tatooine Luke. I think. Do you do any others? Uh, so I think that the Luke costume that I'm the proudest of is probably the Yavin ceremony jacket, uh, that yellow one, because I put such an enormous amount of work into both just physically making it, but also researching it because it is very, very hard to find reference photos of. Yeah. Uh, it's basically just that like six second clip from the movie. There basically isn't anything else available. No, because when he... When he did the promo photos for that costume, he doesn't have the jacket on for some reason. Yeah, he doesn't. Mm -hmm. 
Which, I mean, good idea. The jacket is warm as hell. I'm sure yours is too, but... Oh, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> It's pretty rough. Uh, fortunately, I was wearing it at a very cold convention. <laughs> That's good. It is a really, really cool costume. I totally forgot that you did Yavin Ceremony Loop, too. Yeah, I, uh, I even made the, the medals custom. I have a replica one, but I don't always prefer to wear polystone replica stuff to cons because I'm like, oh, I'll probably drop this or something. So yeah. I made a new one. Mm -hmm. I have uh, I have dropped many a prop on a very hard con floor. Ooh, yeah. So have I, man. Yeah. I did oh, actually boy. snap my Luke blaster uh, for that costume, but it was after all of my shoots, fortunately. So <laughs> you live and learn. How did you get into Star Wars? at first um, Ooh, this is a good one actually always a fun question i know i feel like everybody's always got a good answer um i certainly saw the movies as a kid uh my dad is kind of a nerd you know we watched uh, a lot of sci-fi together a lot of like 80s fantasy a lot of that stuff uh but my real like intro to star wars and really the reason that i fell in love with it so much actually was the npr radio dramas that were produced in the 80s uh, oh, so yeah. yeah, I had those on CD as a kid and I would basically fall asleep listening to them, you know, over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, so yeah. I, it's so funny now because I'm so used to the original trilogy stories to me being that kind of four to five hour length. So when I watch the movies, I'm like, oh, but where's all the stuff with Biggs and like, where's threading the stone needle and where's all this <laughs> stuff that like just simply doesn't exist in the theatrical cuts. I had a children's book that was essentially all of the Luke deleted scenes. Ooh. So the stone needle stuff, the Tashi station scene, and then it ended with like Luke meeting Obi-Wan and like going off to, you know, find adventure in oh, that's Mos Eisley. Awesome. Oh, that's cool. And I thought from reading that book that those scenes were in the movie and it, it, I mean, I was maybe, like, 12 before I realized, like, no, they're just not there. Like, my, like, child brain, like, would just implant that book Me into too. the story. Oh, man, that's, I can't believe you have kind of a, the same story that I do. I watch those movies and I'm like, wait, where's all the, where's all the character development, you know? I, I genuinely feel like the big scenes should be put back in. I, I disagree with the argument that they slow the movie down. Uh, I do too. I think they're I think they're really really needed for Luke's like full development in that movie. Yeah, I agree with you because I mean in the in the current cut, as much as we love it, uh, it's kind of like, wait, who is this guy and why does Luke care about him? And now he's dead. You know, like the the sort of the the zero to sixty on Biggs is yeah, pretty it's, abrupt. It's, it's I do understand the idea of a linear story and not having them, but then like you just said, like putting that one scene back in, but not all the others just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And I think well, it, it establishes Luke really well too, because it's kind of like, Oh, he's this kid who does have friends oh, and yeah. does have a life, but he really can't see the bigger picture. Yeah. It really shows how desperate he is to get off planet and find adventure because when he meets, uh, Obi-Wan, he's immediately like, nah, I don't want this. And it, it feels really inconsistent, mm -hmm. you know, like at least before with those scenes in it, it's like, oh, this is something he really wants. But now he's like being presented the opportunity and he's just like hesitant now. 
versus yeah. uh, the the argument of like I I, I can't go there. I got chores to do and it's like (laughs) i also always really liked um kind of like the little propaganda broadcasts and stuff from the from the imperials because luke believes it he grows up believing Mm -hmm. all of that propaganda and thinking that like oh these people are good you know if i go out there and join the imperials then like i will have a career and everything will be great and then you get to kind of see through the movie of like oh him realizing these are the bad guys yeah, I mean, even in the the regular movie, he like is begging to go join the academy, and it's like, ooh, oh, that would have been a different story. Yeah, yeah. The movie never really makes it clear that the academy that he wants to go to is not not great. I bet someone's done a fanfic. I bet there's a really good, edgy, dramatic oh, sure. fanfic. Oh, there has to be. I gotta tell you guys, Luke. I uh, I found someone on Archive of Our Own who uh, has re-uploaded and re-edited some fanfiction that was published in physical zines in the early 90s, uh, which is very, oh, very fun God. to read because it's that, that real old school stuff, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Speaking of fan fiction, this is just going to be a quick commercial break. Uh, <laughs> fan fiction is good, actually, is uh, on the Where They May radio network. And it is a heartfelt love letter to fan fiction and fan created works. Uh, it is hosted by my wonderful fiance, Evan. And you should go listen to it. Uh, the very first episode, they talk about a uh, and read aloud a cease and desist order that was sent to some horny ass fan fiction writers. <laughs> In the early 80s. I think the letter is from like 1981. So uh, go listen to that (laughs) cease and desist from Lucasfilm telling uh, fan fiction writers that they were not allowed to have sex, sex, sex stuff in their fan fiction. Which is sort of a funny contrast to a fun fact that I learned today because I was on Wikipedia. Uh, Apparently, George Lucas sold the rights to uh, like a college radio station or somebody to make the Star Wars radio dramas for a single dollar. Wow. Wow. That's very out of character. Wow. Right? Can you imagine that in today's world? That's, yeah. That's wild. That's like Stephen King. He's always just giving his rights away to, like, college kids. Yeah, well, good for him. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's bonkers. I really miss uh, the sort of the height of radio dramas. I think that's such a cool genre. We don't see that much anymore. I I th- I think that's what actual plays have become. Yeah, yeah, it is. Have you have you checked out the? Uh, I think they might be Audible exclusive. I'm not sure, but Del Rey in the last like year and a half have done two full length, full cast uh, Star Wars audio dramas that like they really capture the energy of the old NPR ones for me at least. Oh, man, I keep meaning to check those out because I actually know a guy who is pretty heavily involved in producing a lot of the current audio format Star Wars content. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's like I'm always like, oh, man, I really need to listen to your work, dude. <laughs> you should. You should. The The Dooku I... one was fun. Oh, yeah. He said that was actually one of his favorites. I've been meaning yeah. to check out the Afro one. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't checked out Afro yet, um, but apparently it's just the the first arc of the Marvel Darth Vader comic, but from her perspective, but also Maz is involved somehow, which I'm all oh. about that. All right. I, I love that Kieran Gillen run. Yeah. Uh, yes. That, that man knows how to give the gays everything they want. And I <laughs> will read anything he's done. Uh, his work is phenomenal. That's where Afra originates, right? Like that's where yep. she first, that's okay. 
Yeah. And then he he did her first solo run, uh, which right. I'm currently reading through right now and really enjoying. I really need to pick up the Afra solo because um, I, I, you know, through reading the core Star Wars comics, they kind of bounce you around a little bit through some of the Vader and Afra comics uh, if you want to keep the chronology straight. But I haven't actually read the full runs yet. Mm-hmm. They're good stuff. So from the good? radio, from the radio drama, you grew up listening to that. Is there a moment in kind of your uh, older teens or your early adult life or later adult life where you got like back into Star Wars and you decided to like dive back into the fandom or has it kind of always still been there? Uh, you know, it's a funny question. I can't, I don't know if I can pinpoint an exact moment, but I was definitely in the Marvel fandom for a long time, as you well know. Uh, and I think at some point I kind of sidled sideways into like, Oh, Hey, I always really liked Star Wars. Uh, maybe I will do some Star Wars cosplay. Uh, and then got way back into my feelings about Star Wars, as we sometimes do. <laughs> I love that. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean, like... it's always been around, but as as it is, you know, comes and goes. Yeah, I feel like it had waned for me a little bit in high school. And then my roommate in college was a huge Star Wars fan. And, like, we just completely, like, bonded over that. And we would play like the old Battlefront games a bunch. And then they announced that they were re-releasing everything in 3D. And we were stoked about that. And all we got was Phantom Menace because then Disney <laughs> got the rights. And, and they announced a new trilogy. And I was like, all right, this is, it's, it's time for Star Wars to reconsume my life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and like, you know, especially once I got off my ass and listened to, sorry, watched Clone Wars and uh, Rebels, I was like, yes. oh, wait, animated Star Wars really rocks, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Animated Star Wars is incredible. We have gone on the record on this podcast numerous times, actually, with how much we like it so much that we made a podcast about it. Yeah, I'm yeah. in good company here with you guys. <laughs> yes. I know that we're all big uh, animated Star Wars fans. Heck yeah. All right, so let's dive into The Mandalorian. Uh, we watched the final two episodes of season one. I'm going to try and do a really fast recap because it is tough to cover two uh, pretty much hour-length episodes. But let's see. Mando is flying around in his ship, just having a good time, just just chilling, and he gets a phone call from Grief Karga whose character name I remembered for once, finally. <laughs> and Grief was like, hey, actually, those dudes who you murdered the crap out of, they suck. They're here. They're really pissed off. And uh, the Empire is bad, actually. So I got a plan where we can team up like old times and 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 kill kill them again. How about that? And Mando is like, this is definitely bullshit. But I don't have a better idea to get rid of all these bounty hunters that are chasing me. So let's go pick up some friends. And he goes and picks up uh, Cara Dune. And then he is like, the ship could use some repairs. So let's go see Queel. And Queel is like, hey, this is a, the goodest boy ever. It's IG-11. <laughs> and uh, we get a cute montage of IG-11 uh, kind of like forming a new personality. It's very <laughs> cute. I like it very much. IG-11's yes. great. 
And uh, Quill's like, yeah, he's a he he's he's a good good boy, and he's gonna help. And so they all meet up with grief, and they fight some dinosaurs, and Baby Yoda does some force healing on grief, right? Yeah, Can I make yeah. that up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That got it. Um, and then uh, grief is like. Uh, Rosa Diaz holding the puppy like I've only had baby Yoda for five minutes <laughs> but if anything were to happen to him I would kill everyone in this room and then myself and uh, he, Grief murders a bunch of people who because the plan was to betray Mando and he's like hey the plan was to betray you Mando but what if hear me out we do the original idea as if I wasn't going to betray you that's a great idea right and Mando is like well, I guess that's what we were planning on doing anyway, so sure. Uh, we meet the two best scout troopers ever. Um, <laughs> uh, we get more of Werner Herzog, uh, who wants to see the baby. Ooh. And then we get a fucking just incredible villain intro with Gideon, uh, like, pulling a fucking the end of the Godfather and just, like, murdering uh, everyone. And uh, that's the end of the episode. Beginning of next episode, everyone's in trouble. Uh, Quill's dead. The scout troopers have baby Yoda. And we get a really long cut of the scout troopers just, like, shooting the shit. And it's hilarious. I love that. You've, it's so you've watched this episode. You, you know what happens, listener. You've seen this show. You don't watch. You don't listen to Force Runs Rewatch when you haven't seen the show. Uh, some more stuff happens. IG-11 murders a bunch of people and uh, delivers baby Yoda to the gang, which maybe wasn't a great idea. Um, like essentially an eighties action movie scene happens. Uh, Mando gets hurt. There's a really touching scene where IG 11 heals him. Uh, he goes to see his coat mom, uh, coke mom, his cult mom. <laughs> and, uh, she gives him a signet. They escape. IG 11 blows himself up. Uh, Mando uses a jet pack, blows up, uh, Moff Gideon's TIE fighter. They Everyone says goodbye. Everyone's very sad that IG-11 died. Mando is going, has to go find Baby Yoda's Jedi people. And then Grief Karga reveals that he's got... Not Grief Karga, shit. Moff Gideon reveals that he's got the fucking Darksaber. And it's a dope cliffhanger ending. Those were the two episodes. Uh, what what y'all what y'all think now that that recap is, is done and over? Oh, man, there is... Because a lot to recap. There was so much in this episode. Yeah. yeah, it's it's some of the best memeable content and also I think some <laughs> of the best heartfelt content uh, in this season. It really is emotional. Like, the scene where IG-11 essentially has to deny his personhood in order to convince Din to let him heal him yeah. is really rough. Yeah, I also I think it's so funny. Um, Star Wars has always kind of done the like, actually, you really care about robots, don't you? Uh, but uh, through the lens of Mando being like, I really do not like or care about robots. And then him sort of turning around during this episode and being like, OK, maybe I do is uh, is really great. Uh, my housemate Kim loves robots in everything, but especially in Star Wars. And when uh, when we were watching this live, Kim was so mad 
that IG-11 died a second time. <laughs> like, Kim was pissed that IG-11 died a first time, but then was super pissed that IG-11 died a second time. And re-watching these ones, uh, Kim was next to me and uh, was ranting about how it is bullshit that the best Star Wars character ever has to die for this stupid goblin, this stupid green <laughs> goblin. And I was like, oh my God, Brutal. you're the only person who who despises Baby Yoda, but loves uh, generic bounty hunter droid number 11. I mean, that I gotta is... ask how Kim felt about the that kind of concerning R2 unit with four <sighs> arms. Oh yeah, yeah, the... Uh, the very upsetting limb long boy R2 unit. Yeah. The gondola the gondola boy. Because it just gets like killed before it even gets a name, you know? Yeah. Kara just like assassinates it. Just like pistol under the chin, yeah. blows its head off. And not why one single it... person cares. No. Why is it so unsettling? Like why does the uncanny valley exist for R2 units? This is a what question I... I asked myself during the episode, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do kind of love that droid because it really does feel like they had the limbs of one droid and the body of another yeah. and we're just like, fuck it, just 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 detach it. Oh like, yeah. Oh, it's this, this droid is going to live in body horror agony, but oh, like yeah. it's fine. It's, it's completely just the, believable. it's just the lava gondola. Yeah, the believability is the there. problem. Yeah. yeah. I'm I I nope, I just feel a little unclean. Every time it does its thing. We did talk about droid rights in the Clone Wars episode for Armando Rewatch yeah. about uh, the Death Watch. Um, and uh, there was that very good Death Watch episode where they're, they're torturing uh, droids and we talked about droid rights. So if you care about droid rights and also like Mandalorians, you can go <laughs> listen to that episode. I mean, I remember the time that uh, Chopper in Rebels kind of just straight up threw another droid off the spaceship, and I was like, wow, that's uh, pretty cold. Chopper's a jealous little bitch, and I love him for it. Yeah. Chopper is down to be a murderer, no question. (laughs) I I think Chopper has the second highest death count in all of Star Wars. Really? Yeah, I think directly behind that. Luke Skywalker yeah. for blowing up the first Death Star single-handedly. Chopper single-handedly, I think, blows up like two Star Destroyers at one point. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, man. Yeah, and uh, that is a lot for one person to do. Chopper <laughs> is, uh, is a menace to society. Chopper, <laughs> Chopper is hell on wheels, man. He is, he is not here to play games. This is why we love this little evil joy. <laughs> yes. Evil for the right reasons. Yeah, evil for good cause. So, yeah. On on the topic of droids, how beautiful was it to see like super battle droids again? Oh, oh right. And the the droid like drop ships and stuff and Never seeing it better. in live action, just beautiful. There were a lot of things about these episodes that I think really delivered um, either old favorites or animated favorites into live action. Uh, certainly, the dark saber. I think everybody was like, "Excuse me." Oh, yeah. And seeing Death Watch again was wild because there were definitely suspicions about, like, Din's status as a Mandalorian and some of his practices. But then seeing him get rescued by Death Watch, it's like, okay, this is, those are the baddies. This, this is, this is wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Ryan, what do you got as a as a standout moment from this episode? I think, I mean, besides the obvious, like the dark and and the Death Watch coming back, I think when she referred to the Jedi as a race of enemy sorcerers, like clearly mainstream Mandalore didn't regard the Jedi as enemies, or Obi Wan would not have been welcome on the planet in the Clone Wars, and that just really struck me when. Like the 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 Jedi as enemies, that was the first thing she says about them, mm-hmm. and I think that underscored maybe these Mandalorians aren't, you know, because Sabine certainly didn't see the Jedi as her enemies. Fenrau kind of did at first, but he was Imperial. This is well, he had fought with the Jedi's too. Like, true, he... yeah, exactly, yeah. Whereas think... she talks about it like this old grudge, probably from the old Republic, is like essential to her understanding of what a Jedi is. Yeah. It's like, how long have these particular people been underground? Yeah, exactly. One thing I genuinely really like about the Mandalorian is I think sometimes they kind of do exactly what you've just said, where they they show, like, not this sort of first-person understanding of the Jedi like we, the viewers, so often get, Mm -hmm. but other characters and other planets and groups and races and kind of their opinion of the Jedi in the universe... Yeah, that's always, I mean, I think the first time we ever see that is back in Clone Wars when there is a straight up picket line on the steps of the Jedi Temple. And then I I love every time the shows deliver what you just said, just different perspectives on these characters that we're intimately familiar with, but most people in universe will never meet. Something that I really dig about the show along this line is that the show trusts the audience to like chill out in discomfort and like exist in discomfort over stuff that we know is weird or untrue. Like all of season one, everyone was like, why doesn't Din take his helmet off? This is really weird. Yeah. We know that Mandalorians take their helmets off all the time. And if you're maybe a more casual Star Wars fan, who's only seen the movies, you know, you'd maybe remember that you never see Boba Fett's face in the OT. Maybe you'd remember if you grew up like as a prequel kid that, well, Jango took his helmet off. But if you're like a hardcore fan, you know that like Mandos take their helmets off all the time. It's not a big deal, but the show let you sit in that weird discomfort that something was wrong until season two. Mm. Uh, Season two, episode three. And uh, it does the same thing in season two with the Din winning the Darksaber and uh, Bo-Katan not Mm -hmm. and like Bo-Katan being pissed about it and not being willing to take it. And like if you watch Rebels, you're like, well, Bo-Katan took it before. Why is she mad now? And the show is like, you're going to have to wait for season three to like really get to the bottom of this. (laughs) I do like how Mando also kind of uh, balances, I think, episodes that are relatively consumable to a casual viewer who maybe has seen some Star Wars movies and doesn't know the lore and can kind of just enjoy this like good action sci-fi and then has these layers upon layers upon layers for people who who do know as much as, as people like us do. Uh, any level of fan can see things that are interesting or familiar or little mysteries to be solved or just even fun Easter eggs. Yeah, it, it does a really good job of introducing 
uh, familiar Star Wars characters and lore bits. And if you want to really dig deep and, like, if you're really fascinated by the Darksaber or uh, you really love Cobb Vanth and you're like, oh, Don't there's more like stories this. with that. <laughs> yeah. There's more stories with that. I, I want to learn more about those other stories. You can, but also if you're like, no, I'm just here for this show, it gives you everything you need. Yeah. Like, you don't need to watch all of Clone Wars and Rebels to know who Ahsoka is when she shows up here. You can just watch the Ahsoka episode and you'll get everything you need to know about why that character matters for this story and you can move on. Exactly, yeah. Uh, also, Cobb Vanth. Oh, yeah, Cobb Vanth. Vanth. Give me more. Give me more Cobb Vanth. This is all I want. Uh, they're making a Black Series figure of Cobb Vanth. I saw. Love that. Might be the only Cobb Vance, excuse me, Cobb Vance merch. I I got out of the Black Series game, but boy, (laughs) I hope they're not. I'll I'll buy a Cobb Vance. I the from the I I feel like this is something we discuss in the next episode. But real quick, when the show was announced and we knew it was going to be about a Mandalorian gunfighter after Return of the Jedi, I remember sitting about where I am right now and looking at Becca and saying like. I know you didn't read Aftermath, but write down the name Cobb Vanth because this is going to be him. <laughs> I was wrong, but I was right. You were you were a little <laughs> right though. I yeah. was I I was I was I was right a year early, I guess. <laughs> if you look at the extremely horny fan art folder on my phone, you would think that the Mandalorian is solely about Cobb Vanth and Din Djarin, uh having very adult relationships with each other. Uh, we're going to have to talk after the this podcast is done. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. It should be. Oh, boy. Uh, Andy, you should write Cobb Vance Return to these stories. I would I would be all about it. It's the power of Timothy I, Oliphant, man. I loved him in, um, gosh, the zombie show. Uh, Santa Clarita Diet. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's incredible in it. And I literally just started watching Justified. I don't like Justified, but I like Timothy Oliphant, mm. and I'm just like, I need more of him in my life, so I'm watching this cop show from, like, ten years ago, uh, <laughs> because that man is just so compelling. I don't like to get super conspiracy theory speculative about my Star Wars content, but I will say that I noticed when Timothy Oliphant appeared on uh, Conan with the Cobb Vanth hair and beard around the time that the Book of Boba Fett wrapped shooting. That's all I noticed. I saw a post about that, and maybe it's because I follow both of you, uh, but <laughs> I saw that too and went, hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I'm all about it. They'd I'd be, be shocked be if he wasn't in more yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh, same. I mean, especially with Cara Dune being uh, gone, <laughs> like, Mando does tend to like his buddy episodes where he goes to see old friends to help him out with the new problem. So Uh, speaking of Tatooine, uh, I have maybe a question you guys might know more than I do. This is uh, the, well, the Mandalorian in general is the first time we've seen Jawas off Tatooine, right? I think so. Um, I'm trying to think. Cause they were both on Navarro and I think Arvala seven with Queel. But I don't think we've Were seen they them. on Coruscant at some point in the prequel trilogy. Oh, no, you know what? Mm. They're not on Coruscant, but there is a Jawa on either Nalhada or Zygeria in one of the markets in the Clone Wars. 
That would make sense, especially because they they know the huts. Yeah. Um, if you have the model, they're easy to just throw in a crowd shot. Sure. Oh yeah. But it was it was like featured like in the audio mix that Jawa did something. I forget what, but it was deliberately there. But I feel like this is the first time we see them in any kind of abundance having like a civilization off Tatooine, not just a stray Jawa in the market. Yeah, I, I never really thought about it the first time I was watching uh, all these Mando episodes, but the the rewatch I was doing yesterday, I was like, huh, you know, I never really thought about it because they're from Tatooine, but clearly they can figure out how to get off the planet. Uh, I mean, red eyes, too, instead of the yeah. gold. On both yeah. planets, both Arvala and Navarro, they had the red eyes. I don't... I don't know. I... I definitely thought about it the first time I watched that second episode where he has the whole situation with the Jawas. Um, but yeah, I wonder why they're so prevalent. The little shot with the Jawa in this one where IG-11 kills the stormtroopers and the Jawas just kind of like, huh, I liked that quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot of Mandalorian lore crammed into <laughs> These oh, yeah. two episodes. No joke. We get Din's whole backstory where he was rescued by Death Watch uh, from Separatists during the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. which is very interesting because Death Watch was extremely active during the Clone Wars, but kind of like kept to themselves. And we don't really know what's going on in that scene yet. So I suspect we will get more of that at some point, but it's currently still a mystery we get a bunch of stuff about the armorer just kind of like spouting like lore and uh collecting uh chunks of beskar apparently the clan got wiped out when the imperial reinforcements showed up and then we learn that gideon was like involved with some sort of Mandalorian purge, and that's how he knows Din's name, which is bonkers and still kind of unexplored Mm -hmm. and not talked about. I am guessing in the timeline that took place after Bo-Katan's rebellion that we see in Star Wars Rebels. I think so. I would guess, yeah. Yeah, it's there's a lot of like pieces kind of up in the air and we're we're not quite sure where in the timeline they land, but it it's very interesting. His mention of the siege was interesting. Because yeah, it can't be the siege of Mandalore from Clone Wars. It doesn't make sense. Why can't it? Because the the siege of Mandalore and Clone Wars seemed to be over pretty quickly. Right. Unless things really turn around really quick as soon as Ahsoka leaves. Well, I think, I mean, as soon as Ahsoka leaves, the Empire begins. Stays. And I think, yeah. I think the, I mean, the siege, like, that was pretty quick for a siege. I imagine, I, I guess I always thought that, like, maybe the Republic was preparing to leave, but as soon as that happened, something shifted. Because I imagine Gar Saxon coming into power not long after that, which is weird. I don't know. I don't, especially with the Bad Batch ongoing in that time period and dealing with Fennec Shand and clearly having a lot of writer crossover like Dave Filoni, Christopher Yost. I feel Mm -hmm. like we haven't seen the end of the siege yet. I think we're supposed to think we did. Mm. 
and I imagine Gideon is talking about um like the Empire massacring after Order 66, massacring young Mandalorians. But I don't Presum- know. Presumably he got the Darksaber from Bo-Katan after Sabine yeah. gives it to her. Yeah. So I was just kind of assuming he was involved in squashing the Bo-Katan Sabine Kree's rebellion that we saw begin in Rebels before A New Hope. But it, it is also possible yeah. that he was involved in the Siege of Mandalore in the Clone Wars. But I just kind of figured, like, Siege is kind of a generic term. Like, there can be multiple, right. like, well, battles he, or sieges or whatever you want to call it. Because we've talked Uprising. about this before, and I was thinking about it as he was talking, and I noticed um, he he doesn't, at no point does it connect his time as an ISB officer in the Mandalorian Purge with the Night of a Thousand Tears and the Siege and everything. Like, he... He mentions the Night of a Thousand Tears in the Siege, but he doesn't really say anything to suggest that he was present. Just that he knows Din would remember it. Clearly, he's done his research. And then Din says, like, separately, that Gideon was involved in the Siege. Or involved in the Purge. Yeah. So, I don't know. I I can't imagine Gideon would have been involved in the Siege, because if he was really involved in high-level Imperial stuff that early... I feel like he'd be higher level than like former ISB officer claiming to be a moth. He does strike me as a bit of a fanboy. Yeah. Like his costume feels very vapory. <laughs> yes. Um I kind of like make an entrance. I kind of like the idea that he is um someone chasing power and tradition that he doesn't really have any understanding of or any right to. Yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, he is an extremely compelling villain because of that. And I, I just want to know everything about him. He just keeps mm-hmm. dropping these hints and hooks. And I'm like, someone give me a Gideon solo novel already. Like oh, Jesus. Please. Yeah. He does that thing that I love uh, when villains are like, mm, I'm just going to flex by pretending that I know everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which he probably doesn't, but he knows the value of like correctly leveraged information. He knows mm-hmm. the value of making an entrance of like, how he conducts himself. It's very compelling. Plus, I love that uh, actor. Yeah, oh, Giancarlo great. Esposito is absolutely stunning. Uh, I would love him as live action Lex Luthor, but uh, I will Ooh. take him as animated Lex in the meantime on the Harley Quinn show. Yeah, taste, taste. He was very good in Breaking Bad as well. Absolutely. Um, I love that we got the Kenner uh, transports yes. from Rebels. <laughs> and we got them live action. They're very fun. Um, uh, we have a ton of 501st people in this yeah. episode because they did the scene and realized that like we just don't have enough extras. So 
they quickly called up the 501st to send some stormtroopers over, and it's, uh, it's very cool. Yeah, that's that like was, one of those fun little trivia things. Yeah, that was our local garrison and mostly like our local squad within the garrison, and it was pretty wild because like the request came in and they made they went to great lengths to make it sound like like Disney went to great lengths to make it sound like a really boring marketing junket. <laughs> like they they you know they were like yeah it'll be an excellent opportunity great activation we're going to need 20 stormtroopers for 3 days and I'm glad that they did that because like a lot of people that don't usually do cool things got to do the coolest thing. Oh yeah, that's And so then fun. like yeah, like nobody knew nobody knew what it was until they showed up in Manhattan Beach in what was formerly like a nondescript little soundstage that anybody could rent. And then it was very much not that. God, imagine just like showing up to what you think is some kind of just like a goofy, you know, kind of low level job. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, hey, hi, Pedro Pascal is here. Yeah. I would go full feral. I would not <laughs> be able to act like a normal human. I love that man so much. He's and I mean, like, good. Talk about uh, acting without being able to use your face. Um, like Din's grief when he discovers all of the Mandalorian armor is so oh, man. good. Yeah, that whole scene, like when he's looking for them and even the first time you see it, you know, they're not going to be there. He, he just sells it so well. Kawil, again, also incredible. Oof. I know we talked about the, the actor uh, who plays him in the previous Quill episode, but she does such an incredible job with the limitations uh, put on her. And yeah. uh, I'm an asshole and forgot her name again. But Misty Rosas. Yeah, just like on par with uh, the long string bean man. He does Star Trek and all of the Guillermo del Toro movies. Oh, Doug Jones. Doug Jones, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. yes. She is is in that class of talent, and uh, I hope she becomes a household name like Doug Jones has, because just incredible. It is astoundingly difficult to act with that much stuff all over your body. I have nothing but respect for folks who can do that kind of work. Yeah, and like you were saying with Pedro Pascal, like to be able to emote without showing your face is... Uh, I'd say impossible, but we watched Pedro Pascal do it for a season now, and it's incredible. I was struck a couple times in the these episodes where, like, he is the one carrying the scene. Um, often it'll be someone, well, let's be honest, like Cara Dune, who's who's acting her heart out, but you can tell it's really Pedro uh. Pascal who's carrying the uh, the dialogue, and it's very impressive. Uh, we get a lot of emotional beats from Grogu in these two episodes, too, where previously he has been a MacGuffin and not truly a character, but he has, like, agency here in ways oh, yeah. that previously he hasn't. Uh, he chokes the shit out of Cara Dune, which is great, and he stops the flamethrower and he heals grief. Uh, all, like, three things being really cool and important stuff. Yeah, he gets to actually do stuff. And I, I really also enjoyed how Din kind of finally came to terms with how much Grogu means to him and, and that they are a family now. And sort of finding his new quest for season yeah. two. Yeah, it does really feel like he adopts Grogu in 
these episodes. Like, I think the armorer even declares them a, a family before, or she says, like, you have to treat him like your child until you find his people in your clan of two now. Mm-hmm. I, I got to say, though, I do love the the once in a very, very blue moon where they're willing to animate Grogu walking uh, because it kind of just looks <laughs> like a little wiggling potato sack. Uh, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I could watch the armor smash stormtroopers all day. Same. Oh my god, yes. Same. That shot of the of her smashing that helmet open and it shattering is <sighs> such a good shot. It's like Disney Plus can show uh, the armor toss a, a, a living human into a furnace and smash open his helmet and skull, but we can't see uh, two people of the same gender uh, like be in a relationship. Bonkers, but still very cool. I'm Wink here for that wong. violence. I would, I would also watch a series of those two scout troopers just talking about shit. Just put that it, they were the new tag and Bick. Just put them on the fringes of any great Star Wars scene and give me their commentary. Oh, fully, yeah. Like you could even just like leave it as Easter eggs on oh, DVD yeah. releases or whatever. Oh. Like, <laughs> That would just be invite Jason Sudeikis to come, like, riff about That's right. Star Wars. It was him, and who was the other one? Um, let's see, I have this written down. It's Adam Paley. Or okay. Because I saw, I really enjoyed, uh, Seth Meyers did an interview with Jason Sudeikis, where Sudeikis talked about how, like, he did this, and it was awesome, and it was Star Wars, but obviously with just the context of that scene, he didn't really understand the story, so he put it out of his mind. And then the episode dropped and he was trending on Twitter and he was so nervous that he had like, you know, like what happened? Why am I trending? And then he remembered that he punched that baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just reread that uh, that article earlier. And I think his uh, is he, he's married to Olivia Wilde, right? Yes. But uh, she was the one who came in and was like, hey, <laughs> so did you punch baby Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I-, I love when people see it and they're like, is it a pet? Like, what is this thing? It's so weird looking. <laughs> right? There's a there's a part where I think Quill says it's too ugly to be genetically designed. <laughs> IG-11 learning how to, like, become, like, sentient again. Like, Quill says it couldn't have just been rewired like he had to like gradually teach him day by day and you see him like learning to do these chores like my heart i love this droid i I agree with kim ig11 rules ig11 is great um i feel like it shows that taika was the director on the season finale because i think taika excels as we've seen in movies like ragnarok at balancing such good comedy um with action and also just so much heart behind all of the characters Mm -hmm. And that's true of IG-11, who is Taika, uh, but also has both these very funny lines and also these incredibly good beats, despite being this kind of intimidating droid. It's that, like, ability to evoke emotion out of basically nothing. Like, IG-11's head is just garbage. Like, it's just, all of it's just garbage glued together, but... There are multiple beats of just like intense emotion over this coffee maker. And then also these 
hilarious moments from a coffee make like it's <laughs> it's bonkers that this espresso machine glued together is like able to evoke this out of the audience um there was that the bit where it says you've suffered damage to your central processor and din is like uh my my brain <laughs> it's very good i laugh every time <laughs> like i've seen this episode multiple times and it's still funny this was only the second time I watched it for some reason, and I had forgotten so much. But it does such a good job of setting up. I watched season two. I watched those episodes like repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, it does such a good job of setting up the next season. Yeah, it really does. Um, especially because so much of this first season was kind of not monster of the week, but it was that sort of task of the day style yeah. content. So it's like, where do we go from here? And it, it kind of sets up the core quest, but also sets up sort of the B-plots, like the just the idea that there might be other Mandalorians out there, the idea that, you know, he's got this impossible quest to find a Jedi. I love that we got a canon flame trooper. Yeah. Yeah. With the Force Unleashed echo. Right, we have that right now in Bad Batch, which is dope too. Uh, but it was very cool to see this incinerator trooper uh, show up and and kick ass for like a hot minute. Yeah, yeah especially was... in a live action. There's some in yeah. Fallen Order, I think, as well. Oh, good stuff, good stuff. It's been a while. I should replay it. I may or may not, not the... be on my third playthrough, so <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'm deciding if I'm about to start a replay of Fallen Order or Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, I know it's my kingdom for a Kotor remake, to be honest, because I find the I actual feel like real. it's happening. It has I think to it's happen. happening. I was watching the somebody told me to watch the end of when Aspire got bought out by whomever to watch the end of some presentation, and it was totally like this. This financial exec was going over all of their projects. And then he was like, and, you know, revisiting another major IP with a long-awaited remake, and they cut him off. Oof. Like, they, nope. Shut it down. And they straight up said, like, we're not, we can't talk about that one. Whoa. And it, it has to be that. I bet it is. Because the game, <laughs> like, the KOTOR is good. I mean, it's a really, really good um, series, but the gameplay at this point feels so unbelievably clunky. Oh, yeah. It's, it's dated. But it, it was a good, I mean, the effort to port the classic Star Wars RPG to a video game was phenomenal and can only get better with the remake. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I think the game industry in general has gotten, has really dialed in that sort of RPG style gameplay in a way mm-hmm. that has a lot of quality of life adjustments and stuff. So you're not just kind of banging your head against a wall to complete yeah. tasks. Definitely. KOTOR's good. I got it's nothing good. else to add other than it's good, and I would play a remake, please. Good stuff, <sighs> good stuff. We deserve more Revan. We really do. We really do deserve a Revan canon story as well. I would love to see it. I it, it'll, it'll, it'll piss off hardcore fanboys, but they're pissed off anyway, so I don't care. I feel like it could go... It could either go really well or very poorly. <laughs> Give me gender fluid Revan. Yeah, yes, I, I yeah, want that's the thing. Canonically gender fluid Revan. The only hesitation with the Revan story is that I don't want the core story beats, 
Like, I feel like we all love Revan because we chose Revan's story. Give me the main mm-hmm. strokes. Give me the canon genderqueer Revan. Give me... I always liked the Revan to Hani ship because their paths to darkness and their paths to the light were so different. But they... I mean, give me that. Give me yada yada. But I don't know that I want a core KOTOR story defined in canon. I, I, I can see what you mean. And I, I think it, that's why yeah. they've avoided it for so long. Probably. Yeah. Because everybody loves Revan, but everybody loves a very different Revan. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mm-hmm. mean, that's how it is with Dragon Age and, like, your Inquisitor or your Warden or yeah. your Hawk. Like, you love your... You love that character because they were your character, and it's yeah, hard absolutely. to have, like, a canon in those universes. Same with Mass Effect. Like, it's mm-hmm. hard to have, like, a Mass Effect canon because everyone's Shepard is so different. And Lucas wanted to bring Revan into the Clone Wars, as you can find this on YouTube, because uh, they, yeah, they the, animated the, the sequence. Yeah, yeah, but it would have... The idea that Revan would continue on to guide this dark side spirit would would kind of pigeonhole the dark side ending as the only one that made sense for the character. And I think that's kind of how he was talked out. Mm. Right. They'd have to, like, canonize one option. Which Star Wars games have done in the past, and, like, Mm -hmm. I can understand the... This is the canon ending even if it's not the one you end up with, like your version is still valid, but this is the official one. The, the story group is going with when they like retouch on these events again. Mm -hmm. And I I think like video game fans can get that. It might confuse maybe hardcore star Wars canon junkies who don't typically game, but I think video game fans in general are kind of used to that happening because, you know, we have played, yeah, you know, Mass Effect or Dragon Age or whatever. Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm I'm replaying Detroit Become Human right now, and that's a game where your your ending drastically changes. Any oh. other small beats from this episode that worked for us? Uh, I feel like there's a, a bunch still that we haven't talked about, but just rapid fire things you liked. Uh, I liked that Cara Dune was only very much on board with Din's sort of shitty plan when he was like, hey, you could punch Nazis, though. And she was like, well, okay, I'm sold. Which is ironic. Yes, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Um, Moff Gideon calling her a Republican shock trooper. That I laughed at that. mm Mm-hmm. Unintentional. Real foreshadowing. I get kind of sad every time Kara is on screen for a variety of reasons, but mainly just because her character should have been very good, actually. Yep. I remember and my reaction when she popped up the first time we watched these episodes, and I was like, yeah, like we're revisiting that character. And then I kind of started to realize, oh, no, she's actually a bad actor. Yeah, she's a when bad When there's not actor. something to blow up. Oh, but then, you know. Rewatching it this time, I was yeah, like, her, oh. her bar fight is dope. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's genuinely was... cool. And like the sort of the tether thing between them and like all the that little bits cool. and pieces there, really cool. And that's how you tap out of the fight. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. For sure. 
I also, a lot of times they'll show um, concept art during the credits of Kara, where it's clear that they were not honestly totally settled on her character design uh, until pretty late in the process. But some of the other concepts for her design were fucking cool. Yeah. I was looking through the art of the Mandalorian book and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like short haired Kara, shaved head Kara, and just different takes on the costume. What a shame. I know yeah. it's it's such a shame. I hope they I hope they kind of like maybe design a, a Kara adjacent new character to sort of fill that role with a I'd new I'd rather actress. they recast to be honest. Yeah. I'd rather keep the character name, keep you know, like keep the character, but it is no longer Gina Kronos. I'd be done for that. Uh I don't understand the uh Hollywood aversion to recasting when uh, I think it would solve a lot of problems personally. Uh, like I have gone on record and said, I don't like that. They used Mark Hamill in Mando season two. I would have rather they recast Luke. Yeah. We had I, a pretty I, epic think, I, I know that's a controversial <laughs> choice. It's a controversial choice, but that's my opinion. Uh, Andy and I'm fine I had, with recasting. Andy and I had a phone call about that. That should have been recorded and should be its own episode. Oh, and just man. call it re- we could call it recasting is good, actually, except maybe it's bad, actually, except maybe it's good, actually. I would love to have been a fly on the wall. <laughs> It'll be a Patreon reward someday. Give us more money and we'll yeah, there a we Patreon go. reward. It was, it was our Listen, most heated debate ever. I was team ever. Ezra, so. <sighs> I... Oh, yeah. As, so the first time I watched this episode... I wanted it to be Luke. And then I convinced myself it was not going to be Luke. It was going to be Ahsoka. And then after the Ahsoka episode, I was like, nope, it's Luke. But Ezra, Ezra crossed my, Ezra was kind of an undercurrent through it all. What if it, I was team Cal Kestis. I was, I was like, I would love Cal Kestis in my heart and soul. And they have the actor and he's the right age. And he's just like him seemingly available, you know? So like, Super, super easy. The only reason I thought that Ezra was likely was only because they brought up Thrawn in the Ahsoka yeah. episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if Thrawn is out there, then that has some implications. Yeah, Ezra is definitely out there. Uh, I love that actor on Twitter that everyone was like, we fan casted you as Ezra <laughs> and now we oh, won't Raul? shut up about it. Yeah, amazing. I love him so much, Rel Kohi. What a delight. Get that man a Star War. Get that man a Star War. Also, he was like full on rocking a Rainbow Star Wars uh, shirt at the beginning of this month uh, and recently changed his pronouns nice. on uh, the Twitters. So good for him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, good for them. Anything in these episodes that we didn't care for? Hmm. I feel like it's it's beating a dead horse to say Cara Dune, so... Yeah. Uh, I have a couple. Shoot. I do not like Gideon's TIE Fighter. Ooh, I think it? it should have been a TIE Advanced. Ooh. Uh, I just, I think he's too much of a big shot to have, like, just a shitty TIE Fighter. I think um, he thinks he is. I think Gideon would agree with you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, too. and and like maybe they picked a shitty TIE fighter to show that like Imperial resources are struggling. Mm-hmm. But I, f- I, I, I just don't like that choice. I would have rather have seen uh, 
one of the like classier tie variants for that character. That is fair. Personally. I think also just because um, he's he has so much showmanship, it is a little yeah, surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, although to be fair, most of the the uh, troopers who weren't obviously the five of first guys had very weathered armor and really kind of not very good gear. So I yeah, guess that yeah, might have yeah. been what they were leaning into. It, you're absolutely right that like some of the troopers are really schlubby looking and like the yeah. armor doesn't fit or like it's really dirty and. Um, Maybe that is what they were thinking with, well, we'll give this really classy villain, like, uh, a shitty podunk, like, cheap. But I would have rather seen a a classier tie. That's one of my complaints. Uh, Another one is, um, uh, it is a little much when Din rips the E-Web off the tripod (laughs) and is, like, (laughs) hauling it around, like... My dude, that thing has a tripod for a reason. And, like, <laughs> is it cool? Yeah. Is it practical? Absolutely I not. I don't think so. Like, no. he doesn't move very far with it. And, like, I don't know. It It's a lot. It's very 80s movie. Um, I think I don't mind it for that being... reason. Just because that yeah. whole sequence is kind of ridiculous. It... Yeah, it's definitely a nitpicky kind of thing. Like, it, it's definitely like if I've had a few beers and I'm watching that moment, I'm like, fuck yeah! <laughs> and if I'm, like, watching it to record a podcast about later and taking notes, I'm like, oh, well, that was a bit cheesy. Yeah. This is actually not a complaint, but it is just a, a funny thing to note, maybe because I have the cosplayer eyes. Uh, but Young Din's, like, chest plate thing, I believe was ID'd as, like, a leg brace. And yes. I, knowing that is very distracting to me every time. <laughs> yes. I love that they still do that for Star Wars props. Me too. Uh, like, like classic. Well, what do we have around the shop? Yes. It's, uh, it's funny. A lot of the stuff from the Mandalorian show, uh, once you start getting into this sort of little ID end of the universe, is like, it's mostly Amazon stuff. It's mostly like stuff made in China that you, you can buy for $6. Uh, is. Which is true, certainly for all, almost all of Cobb Vance's gear. I have most of the screen accurate stuff to make a Cobb Vance. So that's awesome. I love that. My friend, my friend Chris is one half of the team behind the Parts of Star Wars Facebook page that oh, has just really? been IDing. Yeah, he's just been IDing the stuff for like twenty some years. Good for him. And they are having a bonanza. With the Mandalorian, I bet. like it, there's so much every episode. Yeah, there those guys are those guys are fascinating. There was we were building something for Celebration 2020 that required a chair, and I, I just reached out to Chris. I was like, just offhand, like, what is the attachment gizmo on the side of this chair? And he responds about two hours later with like. So the attachment gizmo on the side of the chair is this specific tape measure from oh the United Kingdom from 1978. And the best part is when you take it apart, you know, the winch inside is going to be your greebly on the side of the chair. And I assume you're building this and this, so <gasps> you're going to need this cake pan. And I'm like, you, I love you. Two That's hours. awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, but the Mandalorian is just like, it's all of that, but they're that much more excited, I think, because... Like you said, the stuff is still easily available. It's not mm-hmm. like you're hunting down an antique 
we did not buy the antique tape measure from the UK. <laughs> Chris <laughs> helped us find a very similar one that was much cheaper. But like, yeah, so cool and so true to the Star Wars aesthetic. Yeah, I think it's Just, really, I mean, this is sort of a, a step to the side, but I think that one thing Mandalorian does really well is kind of those little details, like the sound mm. design always rocks, um, the oh, greedies yeah. always rock, uh, like just sort of the feel of the universe is so good. It, it reminds me of Rogue One, where like, mm-hmm. you're stepping into a very specific aesthetic for this time period, and they really do knock it out of the park. Oh yeah, Absolutely. This is a preemptive complaint that I've talked about before. Mando season two, the man is invincible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I love that uh, a grenade goes off near him and it fucks his day up. Yeah. And the armor should be powerful. It is a big deal that he has this legendary Beskar Mandalorian armor. But if your protagonist is invincible, it you lose a lot of drama and you know i love that his bell gets rung here in season two it's a little much where he's able to like run down hallways and just like take tons of blaster hits to the armor and you know stuff like that so i really do like that we see him get his day messed up and i think it's a great dramatic moment to reveal his face for the first time yeah, I agree with you. I, I do have a note about uh, I like how a lot of his combat feels earned, feels really heavy and like he's really, really struggling sometimes. He's extremely smart, which is shown throughout the series and a very, very good fighter. But sometimes he really just has to fight for it, especially um, the uh, the grappling hook with Gideon's TIE fighter where he's just getting banged around. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, the first bomb he tries to like hook on he like drops and it goes off behind him like you're absolutely right marcy that he is a hero who has to earn his fights and his wins and he does take losses frequently and that makes him a very compelling character in my opinion Mm -hmm. i think i only have one nitpick kuil talks about having been enslaved to the empire for three human lifetimes but the Empire lasted like 25 years. I never thought about that. How I long do does he wonder think humans if live? He really would have differentiated between the Republic and the Empire. Maybe not. That is a good for, point. For a lot of people, and probably especially aliens, they probably wouldn't have really seen a huge difference between Ooh. the two. I think you might be right, because we see an Ugnaught working for the Republic, carbon freezing the Jedi in the Clone Wars. Yeah. yeah. For so, the I mean, they, yeah, so they clearly had contact with the Republic, at least. I mean, I know in, in Legends there was, they may not have, but. And, like, economic enslavement, where, like, someone, yeah. uh, you know, changes who owns your debt. Like, are you really going to differentiate between the Empire and the Republic? Like. Probably no. not. No, the Senate not. stayed in place. Like senators all kept their jobs. Bail Organa was yeah. a senator for the Republic and then a senator for the Empire. I mean, he was doing what he could to undermine the Empire, but sure. like to the average citizen, would you have really noticed a difference? Yeah, I mean the Bad Batch shows us there's like an economic transition in the sense of changing over your money and getting your chain code, but that seems like kind of it for a lot of folks. 
Yeah. So it's just the government changed over. But I mean, yeah. like, if your particular world or family or anything is kind of in a bad situation, like, if that doesn't change, it's all the same. Yeah. And uh, the armor stayed the same, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I think that's a good point. I think these are two bangers. Me like, too. what a way to end the season. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, let's wrap here then. Marcy, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for Absolute having me, you guys. It's a good time. Uh, where can people find your your stuff? Plug everything and anything that you uh, you're you're doing right now. Yeah, uh, so I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, I go by the name Elegant Feather Duster. There are no spaces, no underscores. That's all one word. Uh, places like Instagram, where you can see a lot of my cosplay and stuff. Uh, I'm also on Twitter as just Elegant Feather because there's a character limit, and sometimes <laughs> life is like that. Uh, and I post art and yell about Star Wars and do a lot of kind of cool stuff. Uh, you can also find me on Twitch on my personal account, which is Elegant Feather Duster where I stream video games. Uh, but I also do a very cool Monday show with a charity TTRPG channel called Gut Punch RP. Uh, our main flagship show right now is a dark fantasy D&D game, but we are have a lot of really cool stuff in the works. And we benefit a charity that advocates for diversity in gaming spaces. So I definitely encourage you guys to check that out if you have time and you like stuff like that. So thank you both for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that is going to do it for us, though. So follow us on Twitter at ForceFriendPod. We want to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for that intro and for being our producer. You should go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true. We are grateful to be part of the Where They May radio network. You can get some great rewards at our Patreon, which is Patreon slash WTM Radio, as well as bonus content from the shows Force Friends Rewatch, Ending Pending, and Fan Fiction is Good, actually. We also have a website where we have links to our Redbubble and Tee Public stores. If you want to get a fucking cool t-shirt or tank top or dope mug, uh, we have some Force Friends shirts available. Uh, there's, uh, I think, two designs right now are standard uh logo as well as a pride logo so go check those out and uh yeah ryan andy how do we end the the show what do we do we say to tell the boy about his parents tell the boy about his parents tell the boy about his parents ezra <laughs> deserves to know don't wait till he meets clancy brown in a cave <laughs> tell him beforehand oh, you'll already know should. We should all be so lucky to meet Clancy Brown in a cave. It's true. That's how I found out about what happened to my parents. Clancy Brown <laughs> came up to me in a cave and was like, do you know about your parents? I was like, what are you talking about, Clancy Brown? Your voice is so deep. We all get there. <laughs> I mean, unless he's doing the Mr. Krabs voice. I was about oh, to say, true. he told me about my parents in the Mr. Krabs voice. He does one goddamn voice for every Star Wars character he voices. And then for SpongeBob, he's got this very dramatic... Love it. It's good. A hero, the All hero right. we deserve. It's true. It's true.